Well, good morning. I hope you've enjoyed this series as much as I have. I want to give a shout out this morning to our Hope Center guys watching three miles away at the Hope Center. We're so glad that you're with us this morning. They're watching us live online. Did a little quarantine action there, so we're trying to be wise, but we want, hey, as loud as the Hope Center guys get, they could probably shout. They're three miles away and we would hear them, right? So on the count of three, Hope Center guys, one, two, three. Yeah, I heard them. All right. So, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. They shake the rafters for us. We're glad they're, that they're with us today. We have quite a few folks on the road. I want you to pray this week. Uh, this week is general conference for our movement, and we've got quite a few there and more headed that direction. And if you could just try, uh, pray for traveling mercies this week and protection as we go. I think right now there's 11 of our folks there and probably another 11 on the way this week. So we want God to watch over us, and we believe God's going to do some great things. We've been talking about this movie that was written in directed by Francis Ford Coppola. It's considered uh, by many one of the greatest movies ever put out. I, I would beg to differ because like I'm a Mel Gibson fan, like uh, glad, uh, you know, so, uh, Braveheart. Yeah. I mean, come on. You can't, how can, okay, never mind. That's a different story, a different argument. But this, this particular film paints this picture of this Italian American family who was involved in the mob, the syndicate, the crime scene. And it kind of chronicles their move for, to power. And then they almost lose that power. And so uh, it's kind of captured as uh, one of the historical moments in film industry. And still to this day, in fact, I saw yesterday on the news and just yesterday, they are now using uh, the uh, Corleone home, the Godfather's house, as a bed and breakfast. And you can go and stay there now. They just released that out yesterday. Pretty interesting. And so a lot of quotes have come out of that movie. The one we've been um, focusing on is this one. Italians have a little joke that the world is so hard that a man must have two fathers to look after him. And that's why they have Godfathers. And we've been talking about the fact that we have a heavenly father, but we also, in the faith, have Godfathers. We've talked about the, the, the reality that Scripture tells us over 12, over 12 times throughout Scripture, this phrase is used. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And then Paul comes along and he says in Galatians chapter 3, verse 6 and 7, that because of Abraham believing in God, that when we believe in God, then we, are, we become the sons of Abraham. And we've talked about the fact that a lot of us don't even understand what that means. In youth camp, we used to sing, and in our youth service, we used to sing the song, I've been threatening for weeks, three weeks, to make you sing. So everybody stand up, stand up. Now this is gonna show who the old school folks in the house are, because some of y'all don't know. And so I need you to sing loud. We're gonna do just the last part. We're not gonna do it through the whole thing. We're just gonna sing the Father Abraham part, and we're gonna go through the last set of motions. Are you ready? Here we go. On the count of three, y'all sing loud. You don't want me to sing. God, one, two, three, five. Come on, don't drag. So, so, okay, see, now you know why we don't sing it anymore, because y'all are terrible, all right? Uh, and some, it was funny to me to watch the young folks. They've never even heard this song before. They're so deprived, uh, this generation so deprived. Thank you, Catherine. So uh, we sing that, Father Abraham had many sons, and I am one of them, and so are you. We don't even know what it means, and so we've been talking about what it means, and so today we're going to continue. I want you to join me in Genesis chapter 27. 
We're going to end this thing. We've talked about the God of Abraham. We've talked about the God of Isaac. Now today, I want us to look at the God of Jacob and see if we can learn some lessons. Genesis chapter 27, beginning of verse 30. As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob and almost before Jacob had left his father, Esau returned from his hunt. And Esau prepared a delicious meal and brought it to his father. Then he said, sit up, my father, and eat my wild game so that you can give me your blessing. But Isaac asked him, who are you? And Esau replied, it's your son, your firstborn, Esau. And Isaac began to tremble uncontrollably and said, then who just served me wild game? I've already eaten it, and I blessed him just before you came. And yes, that blessing must stand. And when Esau heard his father's words, he let out a loud and bitter cry. Oh, my father, what about me? Bless me too, he begged. But Isaac said, your brother was here and he tricked me. He has taken away your blessing. And Esau exclaimed, no wonder his name is Jacob, for he has cheated me twice. First he took my rights as the firstborn, and now he has stolen my blessing. Oh, haven't you saved even one blessing for me? Down in verse 41. From that time on, listen to this, this is an important statement. From that time on, Esau hated Jacob because their father had given Jacob the blessing. And Esau began to scheme. I will soon be mourning my father's death. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. Chapter 32, beginning of verse 24. This, this left Jacob all alone in the camp. And a man came and wrestled with him until the dawn began to break. And when the man saw that he would not win the match, he touched Jacob's hip and wrenched it out of its socket. Then the man said, let me go for the dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. What is your name, the man asked. And he replied, Jacob. Your name will no longer be Jacob, the man told him. From now on, you will be called Israel because you have fought with God and with men and have won. Chapter 33, verse 3. Then Jacob went on ahead, and as he approached his brother, he bowed to the ground seven times before him. Then Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and threw his arms around his neck and kissed him, and they both wept. What I have read to you are the highlights of Abraham's grandson, Jacob. Now you may say, well, Steve, I'm not a Bible scholar and I don't even understand what you're reading. This is not really familiar to me. I just don't know. I just don't know this story. But hold on. Even if you don't know all the details, I just need to point out the highlights which I've read to you. You need to understand that Abraham's son, his son Isaac has a son by the name of Esau, the oldest son. Then he has a son by the name of Jacob. Jacob lives up to his name. Jacob literally means cheater, supplanter, trickster. And so over the course of these, these uh, highlights that I've read to you, you see that Jacob lives up to what he's called. He lives up to his name. He begins to trick and deceive and steal from his brother. He steals his birthright. He steals his blessing. And in the process, guess what happens? He causes a family rift. Now there's this division. Esau is so angry at Jacob for doing this to him that the Bible says that Jacob has to run for his life. And over the next 20 years, he's separated from his family because his brother Esau desires to kill him in revenge. This is Jerry Springer ready. This is Dr. Phil K. 
candidates if there ever was one. The older brother Esau wants to kill him and so he runs and so finally after approximately 20 years of separation, Jacob now has deceived his uncle, his uh, father-in-law, and he's, st- he's st- or, yeah, father-in-law, he steals from him, right? Uh, he thinks, his father-in-law thinks he steals from him, and so he's running again, and so Jacob makes up his mind that what he's going to do is, I'm going to go home, and what I read to you is this, on the way home, this is important, on the way home, right before he gets home, He stops and he has a face-to-face encounter with this man. He thinks it's a man and he wrestles with him all night long. And what he discovers is it's not a man. It's literally God. He's wrestling with God, right? And the Bible says that when dawn begins to break, this man asks Jacob his name. Jacob owns up to who he is and the man reaches down and dislocates his hip. And then he, when Jacob admits who he is, finally he steps in and blesses him. And he changes not only his name, but his walk, literally and figuratively. He limps through life, but his life is changed forever. And the aftermath of that, that I read to you, is this reconciliation with Esau, right? Their their family relationship is restored. You go from, I want to kill you, So now when I see you in a distance, I run to you and I throw my arms around you and I weep over you and I kiss you on the cheek and welcome you home. How many of you know that's a change? Something has happened. And so here's what we know. Abraham, the God of Abraham, we learned, is a promise keeper, right? Are you with me? We also learned from Abraham that God is a provider, Jehovah Jireh. Last week from Isaac, we learned this truth, that God is what? A protector. So what can we learn from the God of Jacob? The story of Jacob teaches us this, that God is a God of pivots. Pivots. Jacob's entire life was leading to destruction. He he was going to end up being killed due to his deceptive nature and his ways. He was going to trick the wrong person in the wrong way at the wrong time. And they're going to catch him in his his tricking nature. And they're going to kill him. They're going to destroy him, right? It's just a matter of time. The handwriting is on the wall. Somebody somewhere is going to catch him deceiving them. And he's he's going to be dead. Payday was coming. Jacob was constantly looking over his shoulder in fear, but also in shame and regret. I've done some things wrong, right? Are y'all with me this morning? You see what I'm saying here? You, you need to understand that Jacob had done so many people wrong. He had ruptured so many relationships. His life was literally littered with lies and deceit and manipulation and selfishness and pain. But, but in Genesis chapter 32, God shows up and he wrestles with God and a pivot takes place. Something changes in this moment. There's this, there, there, there's this transformation that takes place. Jacob is changed forever right so 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 the trajectory of his life the way he walked was transformed he now walks uprightly he now walks worthy of a new name Israel so what I came to tell you this morning that as we learn from the God of Jacob we need to learn this that regardless of what has happened in your life regardless of how you live God can bring a pivot moment in your life I need to tell somebody this morning that regardless of the hurt that you've inflicted or the hope that you 
you've endured, God can bring a pivot. I need to tell somebody this morning that in spite of the pain that you've caused or the pain that you've received, God can produce a pivot in your life regardless of the brokenness that you may have caused in somebody's life or regardless of the brokenness that somebody caused in your life, God can produce a pivot in your life regardless of the road choices you've made, regardless of the decisions that you've made. It may seem that your your choices have taken you out of the path that God wanted for you, but God still has this this, this, uh, this thing that he does, he shows up on a regular basis and he produces pivot after pivot moment in our life. See, God is still the God of pivots. He can change it all in one touch, in one moment, in one encounter. God can turn your life completely around. That's why I love the song that we sung to begin with. He turned me around. He takes everything that I've messed up and he is a God of pivots. He has this ability to change it all in one encounter. Years of trouble can be turned and transformed in one life. Your life can be littered with deceit and destruction and he can touch you and put you back on the path to destiny. He can produce pivot points for you. That's what we learn. He kept his promise. He's, he, he's provided for us. He's protected us. But did you know that even though we know those things to be true, there are still moments in our life, even when he's, when he's kept his promise, even when he's provided, even when he's protected, that we mess things up? That that we don't go the way he wanted us to go. Anybody else want to testify this morning other than the guy with the microphone? I watch him provide in my life. I watch him fulfill promises in my life. I watch him protect my life. And yet there are moments in my life I still make stupid decisions and bad choices and I go the wrong way. But what I've discovered is even when I've messed all that up, God still has this idea in mind for me and a life for me. And he will flip that thing and produce a pivot moment in my life so that everything can be turned around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, 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 so God can bring this pivot moment. I want you to notice something though. This pivot that took place in Jacob's life took place because he encountered God. I I need you to notice something. I want you to recognize and realize this. He encountered God. I'm going to say it in a way that hopefully will help you remember. We ought to try to say it fast three times because it's a tongue twister. But, 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 but I want you to stay with me. I need this to sink into your spirit because a lot of us would testify that we need God to turn some things around. We just don't want to do it this way. And I need you to recognize that the reason that Jacob's life was turned around was because he encountered God. And so I say it like this, a pivot is predicated on and only possible by presence. I'm going to say it one more time. A pivot is predicated on and only possible by presence presence. Jacob didn't just wake up one morning and decide, I'm just going to turn over a new leaf. It's January 1st, and I'm just going to turn over a new leaf. If you could just turn over a new leaf, you wouldn't need God. I can't get no help. He didn't just just like wake up one morning and say, well, I've made up my mind. Some of y'all made up your mind more than you make your bed. You've made up your mind day after day after day after day. And by the end of the day, you're right back where you started because it's not enough just to make up your mind. Okay. Uh, He didn't just choose a different path. He didn't just read a self-help book. 
listen, our libraries are full and we still act like fools. All this stuff about you can get yourself out of by thinking this way and doing that and start this and start that. If all of that worked, you would have already made the changes necessary in your life. He, uh, the thing that caused Jacob to have a pivot moment in his life is the same thing and the only thing that will produce a pivot in our life and that is a face-to-face encounter with the presence of God. That's the only thing that produces the kind of changes we're talking about. It is in his presence that we are forced, listen to this, that we are forced to own up to who we are, who we really are, so that he can change us into who he wants us to be. This is what I know this morning. Too many of us want to pivot, but we want it without presence. We want to use willpower and we want to use mind power. But I came to tell you that what we need to learn from our Godfather is this, that the only real change that is ever produced in our life is a change that comes from a face-to-face, knock-down, drag-out, Katie bar the door, death match with God where I grab a hold of God and he grabs a hold of me and we wrestle some things out and I come to the conclusion that his way is better than my way and his thoughts are higher than my thoughts and his preferences are more important than my preferences and I make a shift based upon the fact that I've had a moment with God and I've encountered him and he's adjusted and transformed my life forever. That's the, only, that's the only thing that happens that causes that kind of change. No pivot lasts that isn't produced by his presence. The, the habit that you try to kick on your own will come back. The desire that you've been fighting down for decades will rise back to the surface if you don't have an encounter with God. The attitude that you've been struggling with will flare back up if you don't have an encounter with God. The bad choices that you make will be made again if you don't have an encounter with God and wrestle with him. Yeah, it's the God of Jacob. Paul understood this concept. He, 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 he walks us through this process. It's interesting to me. I think probably what happened is Paul learned the lesson from the Godfathers. I think he figured it out. In Ephesians chapter four, he makes this statement. Listen to what he says. In Ephesians chapter four, he makes this statement. He says, since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him. Wait a minute. Let's stop. Presence. That's what he's talking about. Since you've had this encounter with Jesus and you've learned what Jesus is talking about and teaching, Are y'all with anybody here this morning? Paul's saying, look, you gotta have this moment where you come to this understanding that Jesus was telling the truth and I come to believe it. I encounter him, right? Presence. Now listen to what happens. Pivot. He's got it. He's figured out the lesson. He's he's learned from his Godfather. Here it is. Listen, he says, he says, since you've heard about Jesus and learned the truth that comes from him, presence, now pivot. Here's what he says. Throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. Then he says this, stop lying. 
Don't be angry. Quit stealing. Work hard. Give generously. Don't use foul language. Encourage others. Don't bring sorrow to the Holy Spirit by the way you live. Get rid of all bitterness and rage and anger and harsh words and slander as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another just as God through Christ has forgiven you. I got a question. How in the world do we ever come to this place where we throw off our evil behavior? How do we ever come to this place where we we throw off our sinful nature? How do we do what he says and get rid of lust and deception? And how do we get to the place where we stop lying and we're no longer angry and we we quit stealing and we become hard workers? How do we give generously? How How do we get a handle on our mouth? How do we quit being filled with bitterness and rage? You don't know what I've been through. I'm angry. You don't know what I've been, has been done to me. I'm bitter. How do we get rid of all that stuff? You cannot get rid of all that stuff until you first have an encounter with God. See, he says it. He says, since you've heard about Jesus and you've learned the truth that comes from him. That, that, so he's literally saying this. Now that you've encountered him, now you have the ability and the power and the authority and everything that you need in your life to make this pivot. So now all this other stuff falls off of you because you've wrestled with Jesus and you've given him your life. Now you have the possibility and the power necessary to pivot some of you in this room, maybe some watching online this morning, are trying to make a pivot, but you haven't encountered God. I'm just going to think my way into being better. It won't work. Anybody else? Anybody else in the room ever made a New Year's resolution that lasted about 15 seconds? Anybody else made up their mind they're going to treat somebody better, and then that somebody says something that looks at you and rolls their eyes? Anybody else determine I'm going to go a different path in my life. I'm never going to do this again. And before you can get the words out of your mouth. Why? Because the only pivots that last are the pivots that are produced by the presence of God. And so I'm telling you this morning that some of us desperately need a pivot. And the good news is this. God specializes in pivots. He has the habit of turning things around. That's why we're told in the New Testament that when we come into a genuine, authentic relationship with Christ, it says this. If any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. What's he saying? He's saying when you come into a relationship with Jesus, and you wrestle with Jesus and you come to grips with who you are and who he is, all of a sudden, everything changes. And the old dies and the new is birth. And if today you don't hear anything else, I want you to hear that our Godfathers teach us and prove to us that God is capable of changing everything. If today you need a pivot, then I declare to you, then you first need to encounter, have an encounter with his presence. I don't want you to run from him. I need this morning, if you need a change in your life, if there are elements, things in your life, maybe the way you talk, maybe the way you think, maybe the way you make decisions, maybe all of this stuff is, is not how I want it to be. It's not enough for you to walk out of here and say, I went to church, now I'm gonna be different. No, you've got to have a face-to-face encounter with Jesus. He's the only one. Don't don't run from him. Run to him. Don't resist him. Wrestle with him. I just, 
began to ask myself questions this week as I read back over my notes and prepared. There's some areas in my own life that I want to see God change. I need some pivots in my own life. I know if I need a pivot in my life, then surely you need pivots in your life. There's, a, there's moments, there's situations that you need God to turn it around. And, and we just go through the motions and we act like if we just go through the motion, it'll all change. No. We got to get alone in the presence of God and lay hold to him and let him lay hold to us. so that he can turn it around. Here in a second, we're going to take communion together because one of the things that the, the, the Godfathers teach us is that God is a, a covenant-keeping God. He, he, from generation to generation, he made a covenant with them and he's made a covenant with us. But before we do that, I just wonder if there's anybody in this room this morning or maybe watching online that is in a place where they would say, I need I need God to turn some things around. I want you to just bow your head and close your eyes right there where you're sitting for a moment. Then I'm going to have you stand. Father, I pray in Jesus' name. Would you do what I can't do? Would you convince us again from the truth of Jacob's life, a deceiver, a trickster, habitually messing everything up, bad decision after bad decision, You've proven to us through his life. Let us learn that you are able to turn it all around if we'll wrestle with you. God, for a man or a woman or a young man or a young lady sitting in this room or watching online today that, that is at this moment where they've tried in their own power, they've tried to think their way into new life, they've tried to read their way into new life, they've done, they've done certain things trying to, to position themselves for new life. And every time it seems like they fall flat on their face before the ink dries, before the thought is finished, before the commitment is made. It's like they fall right back into what they were in before, the drug addiction, the bad attitude, the bad practices, the bad thoughts. It's like I make up my mind and before I can even finish making up my mind, I fail. And I want to get it right today, Jesus. And so I pray that if it, there's one in, under the sound of my voice that's in that situation, I pray that right now, in the privacy of their own moment with you, I pray that they would encounter you. We recognize that the only pivot that can last in our life is produced by your presence. Invade our mind, invade our heart, invade our will. We wrestle with you this morning. Change us changes we stand on your word that your word declares that when we get into a relationship with you, you Jesus that our old man dies and we become brand new change everything in us we ask you to do this Jesus would you stand with me this morning Say, Steve, that's me. I need God to turn some things around. Every head bowed, every eye closed, no one looking around, no one. This is just between you and God. We must have a face-to-face -face encounter with God. It, it, it's that moment where we're wrestling with Him, where we're willing to admit, I gotta come to this place where I, I'm willing to admit that I need this kind of change. 
that's you with no one looking around I just simply want you to do something in the natural because I think sometimes what we do in the natural is such a representation of what's happening in the supernatural reminds us that he's he's doing things I pray what I, I want you to do is just right there where you're standing if you would say Steve I need a pivot in my life right now I just want you quietly and quickly just turn around right where you're standing just make a full circle make a full circle nobody's looking nobody's looking Father, we trust you. You are the God of Jacob. You are the God that can turn it all around in one touch. You're the God that can take all my bad decisions and fix them in one moment. You're in one, you're, you're God that in one, one short moment in your presence can cause me to think differently and live differently and talk differently, behave differently. And so I'm asking you, turn this thing around turn it completely around so that broken areas of my life are repaired turn it around so that places in my life that are causing pain in me and in others would be fixed finally and completely in Jesus name would you live up to what our Godfathers have taught us that you are able that you have the authority necessary to turn it all around. God, I pray for every person that turned around this morning that before they leave this house today, as they walk back to their car, they would see that something is different. Something. It's not just willpower. It's not just that they made up their mind. It's the fact that you've intervened. The God of Jacob intervened. And I pray that from this day forward, we would be changed forever. I pray that you would do this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Now with everybody looking all together as a testimony of God's goodness and his grace and his ability in all of our lives, would you join me and just, that we're just going to testify to one another. This is how we're going to do it. Would you just do this? That's the testimony of my life. He turned everything around. Yeah, when, when you're looking, when people are turning, that's the testimony of our life. I want to remind you that in Genesis chapter 15, God starts a covenant with Abraham. In Genesis chapter 15, he makes a promise to Abraham. He establishes covenant with him. If you've got your communion cup, would you take it this morning? Because in the New Testament, Jesus starts a new covenant. And I want us to do this today as a reminder that from generation to generation, God's promises are true. He is faithful to what he said he would do. We stand on the backs and on the shoulders and on the truth of our Godfathers. God is a promise keeper. God is a provider. God is a protector. And God is a God of pivots that can turn things around. So this morning, if you've got your, your, your community, you've got the bread. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body. It's broken for you. So that, I'm getting ready to read to you a passage out of Hebrews that you're going to want to understand here in a second. It's going to, blow, it's going to bless you. But this is part of what he's saying in Hebrews. He takes the covenant one step further. He provides healing for us. He's a healing God. 
Would you take the bread and eat it this morning as a reminder that he heals us? Then in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Jesus takes the cup and he blesses it. And he makes this stuff, this statement. Listen to what he says. He says, this is the new covenant set into motion by my blood. You recognize that what he's doing is he's establishing a brand new covenant. In Hebrews chapter 8, listen to what it says. Jesus is the mediator of a better covenant, which was established upon better promises. You want better promises? You don't have to go kill a lamb today. You don't have to go sacrifice a goat today. The truth is, is that a better covenant has been made. By his blood, we have been saved. Without the, the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin, right? There is no forgiveness of sin without His blood. And He didn't require our blood. He gave His blood. And so today as we drink this cup, let's be reminded of the blood of Jesus that's been shed for us. Will you take the cup this morning? So Father, we thank You this morning that You are a covenant-keeping God from generation to generation to generation, to generation, to my generation, and to my children's generation, and to my children's children's generation, you're faithful. And we thank you that you've grafted us in to a new covenant. You've made promises to us that you will keep. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Come on, would you sing this? Sing it one more time. Father, we praise you for your goodness and your mercy that endures to every generation. I'm thankful this morning that you, you've done so much in our lives. I pray that we would not forget the lessons of our Godfathers. May we be reminded on a daily basis that if you made a promise, you'll keep it. God, I pray that we would be reminded every day when we get up, we would be thankful for our daily bread. You're making provision in our life. God, I thank you this morning and I pray that you would remind us that you're protecting us everywhere we go. Our angel, angels are camped around us so that we won't stumble, we won't fall. And Father, I pray that you would remind us if we mess all of that up, that you still are the God of Jacob. You will bring a pivot in our life and you can change it all by your presence. And we'll give you praise for all of this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Come on, turn to your neighbor and say, God is good this morning before you're seated. Amen, amen. What an incredible word from Pastor Steve today.
to empower us. Listen, I want to take just a moment and say to you, if today is your first time here at Passion, we are so excited that you chose to worship with us today. We have a gift for you that we'd love for you to get. It's a tasty treat that you can get out of the, at the desk in the lobby. Stop by there. If today's your second time joining us here at Passion, Pastor Steve wants to meet with you at the back of the room. He also has a tasty treat that he'd love to give you. So make sure you see him at the, at the back of the sanctuary today. And then want to say to you, if you chose to follow Christ for the first time today, I want to encourage you to text the number on the screen. We would love to put tools and resources in your hand to help you further in your walk with Christ and help you grow. Also, there's many places for you to serve and be a part of what is taking place here at Passion. And there's an incredible opportunity for you to use your gifts and talents to glorify Jesus. And so also text that, that same number on the screen, but text serve. And we would love the opportunity to get you connected. As we're going to continue in just this moment of worship, our ushers are going to come and we're going to participate.